0: Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez.
1: circumstance. In every situation, you are good and you're faithful and we give you all praise and all glory and all honor. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are so glad that you're with us this morning for worship. You may be seated. Well, before we We get into the message this morning. I want to give you a quick update on my father. I know many of you have been uh, joining us in prayer for him and many others who have been uh, fighting COVID. Uh, He got it uh, over 50 days ago. Uh, He's been in the hospital for just over 50 days now. Um, And four different times, uh, the doctor had given up and gotten to a place where he was basically saying we needed to stop care and just put him on hospice and let go. And each time we just... Believed that God had spoken, He was going uh, to bring him through this, and that that He had uh, more plans and more purposes and more words that had been spoken over his life. And those, if you know, God says it, it's going to happen. So you know, we we held on, and literally each time, pretty much at the last uh, moment, God worked another miracle, uh, and then the doctor would get to another place and say, "Well, it's hopeless again," and we'd say, "No, it's not," and then another miracle, and and so it went. Um, and so I went down to the Panhandle uh, this last week for Christmas. We left Monday evening and got there late, and we were going to go in and see my father Tuesday morning. At that time, visitation still hadn't opened, but the um, physical therapist and speech therapist wanted the family to come in and to see if uh, that would make a it- difference if he would respond, and we were still believing for healing. We basically were saying, the doctor was saying they would get him off the ventilator, which we were very close to that, but then they were, you know, could do nothing else, and that he would, you know, again, was recommended that we just put him on hospice, but we were saying, no, we're going to take him home, and God's going to, you know, one way or the other, (laughs) God's going to heal him, so we're going to do whatever we got to do, but so we went in, and he started responding uh, to us, and that was the first time, that day was 50 days uh, that it had been since he'd seen uh, my mother or us. And um, so anyway, he started responding, and that was on Tuesday morning. By yesterday, so that's a total of four days, he was moved from that room to rehabilitation. So, yeah, so it's beyond... <laughs> So everything that looked like it was going to happen or we didn't know, you know, we were just we were trusting, but we had no idea what it was going to look like. Um, And God brought it around where now he should come home, you know, to where he can function at home. And my mom can just help him whatever little bit he might have left to recover. But God is so faithful and he worked a miracle there. Um, One thing I shared with the first service and it just stood out even more in this service was that last song was talking about with every breath. We praise the Lord. What I realized this set through was I think there was at least three, if not more, of the songs that were talking about breath and praising the Lord. And one of the prayers that I had prayed for my father while he was still totally sedated and on the ventilator was that scripture. I was like, every breath he is breathing is a praise to you. And his life, for almost all of it, has been serving and following God. And that's all that's in him. So I was like, every breath that he's breathing, even on that ventilator, he's giving you praise. And we're believing he's going to do it again with his voice. Um, and that, uh, let's see, that was Tuesday morning that we went in. Wednesday he got a little bit better. Thursday, uh, they, they opened up visitation that next day. But just to one visitor a day. But on Thursday, we get a call, and my family was letting me go because I lived so far away. And they're like, Well, you see him as much as you can, and then we'll see him after you go. And so I was going to go in on Thursday, and we get a call from the physical therapist and the speech therapist, and they're like, All of y'all got to come in. You got to see this. And he had been sitting in his chair for, in a chair chair for two hours. They'd been working with him. They had his uh, plug, the vent thing plugged, so he could speak. And when we walk in the room, he starts speaking with a full voice, like I'm speaking with now. I like let out an uncontrollable yell, like just I was just like ah, you know. He did it. This is amazing. Um, and and just and and that day, he still wasn't swallowing. And so we sent out a deal uh, to the elders and to some people to pray that he would swallow. Well, guess what? Next day he's swallowing ice cream and drinking water and stuff, and then now he's on you know, to physical therapy. So, I mean, God, again, just at the, yeah, we say he's never early, but he's always on time. You know? And um, so he worked, and, and it, it was just miracle after miracle after miracle. And the, the whole story would take this whole message, but uh, rather than that, I'm going to have my father share his testimony up here when he uh, is recovered and comes to visit. So you'll get to hear it from him, and we'll, we will certainly give him praise that day. Well, if you have your Bible with you, turn to Luke chapter 19. Uh, we're going to pick up in the series that we've been on, the, its personal series. And so far in the series, we've looked at how naturally gravitate towards shallow relationships versus personal ones. Uh, After that message, we answered two different questions in the next two. The first was, do you know my name? And then the next one was, do you know what matters to me? And we looked at that both from God's perspective and from our human perspective. And this morning, we're going to look at how to be more personal by answering the question, do you know where I live? Well, let's go ahead and jump into our primary text, and then we'll uh, get back to that question. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It says, he, speaking about Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So Zacchaeus ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw, and that's talking about the crowd, when the crowd saw this interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus, they grumbled and they said, He has gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. As we've looked at this encounter over the past few weeks, one of the things that we've consistently been talking about is context. And it would be safe to say that literally this entire uh, message this morning, the subject is context. One of the most important things that I've seen so far out of this story that I'd never really realized before uh, as I'd read this story and I've heard it since I was a young child was that this this encounter with Zacchaeus takes place on Jesus' final trip to Jerusalem. He was on his way to the cross. That context makes a difference. It matters. We know it was on his mind. Scripture records that Jesus had told the apostles, the disciples beforehand, that that's what was going to happen, and that's why he was going. And they didn't like that story. They didn't like uh, that that's why they were going. And uh, Peter even said, you know, God forbid. And Jesus said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, because I have to do it. I must go. This is what must happen. So Jesus absolutely knew it was time. He knew where He was going and why He was going. And in the middle of that, in the middle of everything that Jesus was going through in that week, He and the Father take time for one man because one man, Zacchaeus, mattered. That's part of the context. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus, He didn't just call him out of the tree by name. In verse 5, He said, I must stay at your house today. I must. We know what that word means in our language. Must. I've got to do it. I have to do this. I must do this. The original word in the Greek here is pronounced die. And in addition to our own definition that we have in our minds of that word, this word communicates that it's necessary. There is a need to. It's required. And I love this full explanation that I found that really paints a wonderful picture of what this meant at that moment. It says this word described a necessity established by the counsel and decree of God, especially by that purpose of His which relates to the salvation of men by the interventions of Jesus Christ and which is disclosed in the Old Testament prophecies concerning what Christ was destined finally to undergo, His birth, His life, His ministry, His sufferings, His death, His resurrection and His ascension. The Word of God, the Old Testament proclaimed for thousands of years what Jesus Christ must do when He came. And He did every single one of those. He fulfilled every word that the Father said that He must do. And on that day, the day that He's walking to the cross, He runs into a man, Zacchaeus, and says, I must go to your house. The same way that I had to come to earth. The same way that I'm on my way to the cross to save the whole world. On this day, I must, by the will of the Father, go to your house because one man matters. He said, I came to seek and save the lost and this man was lost. And he called him out of the tree by name left to our imagination. I know, mine. I could have come up with a thousand other things that Jesus Christ would have been better off doing on His last days here. This wasn't just a man. This was the Son of God in flesh. One of the things that has boggled my mind my whole life is that Jesus Christ's ministry lasted for three years. Why didn't He go to the cross at a hundred and start His ministry at twelve? when he went to the temple, wouldn't that have been better? Wouldn't that have made more sense? Three years with 12 men. And in that small space of time, you think he would have never had time for one man. Yet over and over and over through the New Testament, we see that He has encounters with people He wasn't supposed to have personal encounters with. And this is His last personal encounter. And we know that this was something that the crowd didn't think was appropriate. In verse 7, we read uh, that they were actually offended by it. They grumbled and said, He's going to be the guest of a sinner. How dare He? But not only did Jesus dare to go, He said He must go because it was absolutely necessary for Him to go to the house of Zacchaeus. Jesus was going to see Zacchaeus the man in His context, in His home. He was going to see His whole life and He was going to have a relationship with Him. Understanding the context of biblical uh, passages is so important for us to understand and properly apply them to our lives. So often we take them out of context. And then we get disillusioned because they don't fit up with our line of thinking. We're going to look at a couple of scriptural examples of this, of taking it out of context, and then we're going to start, then we'll look at the importance of taking uh, the people around us in their context. That it's necessary for us to see that, to know them personally. Remember that if we believe what we say we believe, the most important thing for any person on the face of this earth is that they come into a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says that He is the only way, the only truth to the Father. No one comes to Him except by Him. So what's more important than for us to introduce people to Him? But the only way we're going to do that is if we have a relationship with them. If we know them. They're not going to take what we have to say if we're not willing to give enough time and compassion and and show them that we actually care about them. And we can do that because he says we can love with his love because he first loved us. So one of the real well-known scriptures that we see today that's... Taken out of context all the time is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. We all know that one, right? Oh, the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. This verse is one of the most searched online. It's one of the most quoted and well-known. Many of us know it by memory. I guarantee when you see it in the picture frame on the wall of someone's house, it doesn't have the context. It only has this verse. When somebody posts it on Facebook... It's just that verse. They don't say what, what was going on around it, but the context of that verse was that the children of Israel were, had just started a captivity that God had said was going to last for 70 years. And they didn't like that. And there was false prophets saying, we're almost done, guys. We're about to go home. And Jeremiah was prophesying and saying, no, that's not true. God said we were going into captivity. and It's going to be a long time. It's going to be 70 years But God still loves you. And He has plans of peace, not for evil. He has plans to give you a future and a hope. But in the midst of a 70-year captivity in Babylon, there was going to be babies that would be born in the midst of that captivity and die before they were to go back home. Their whole life was going to be lived in captivity. And that was the plan. That was the word that God had spoke. That's what must happen. Happened because that's what God said was going to happen. And in the midst of that, He was good. But we look at those verses and we misapply them and we misinterpret them and think, if anything bad happens in my life, then God lied to me. Because everything's supposed to be good, to my definition of good. And it doesn't work that way. He never said that. He never promised that. It's like I prayed at the beginning. Anytime we think God's not good, we're wrong. No question. We don't know Him well enough. You need to get to know Him better to figure out you're wrong. He's good. The next verse that we do this with, now there's a lot of them, but I'm just going to do two that show you two. Of this one. The next one is Romans eight twenty-eight. It says, "And we know for the, that those For who God loves, that for those who love God, all things will work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Well, again, we immediately think that everything is going to work together for good. Everything is going to meet my definition of good. And if it doesn't, God lied to me. Well, ask Joseph how that scripture applies to his life. God spoke to him in a dream when he was just a child. and. All God showed him in the dream is that he was going to rule in some manner because the only people he saw bowing to him was his older brothers and his parents. So a total of 13 people. That's the dream he had. And he shares it with his family and they didn't like it so much. And his brothers sell him into slavery and he spends years in slavery and then he's he's accused there wrongfully and he goes to prison for many, many years. And then he goes from that to be ruler of all Egypt. At the time, it was like ruling the whole world. He was only under the Pharaoh. Literally, the nations bowed down down to him, including his family and his parents. And can you imagine that in the midst of that time, God walking him through a process that was going to take a good portion of his life, that he would have seen a Scripture like this and said, I thought everything was going to be good. And God said, all through it, it is. This must happen to get you where I'm taking you. To fulfill the promise and the plan that I have for your life. You must go through this. It's part of the plan. And He was good in all of it. He's faithful in all of it. And when we doubt that, and when we don't understand it, and when we miscomprehend it, we're wrong. We need to trust God in the midst of every trial and every tribulation. Because everything that we would label bad, God would label good and say, it's part of the plan. Trust me. Walk with me. Context is so important. Before we go on with the message, I just want to uh, encourage you once again. I've done this every year since I've been here, Uh, so it's been a little over five years now. to encourage you to read the entire Bible. It's the whole context of who God the Father is, of who Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is. He's in the Old Testament too. It's the whole context of who the Holy Spirit is and how God works in our lives. And if we only pick and choose the things that we like to hear, we're going to misunderstand and we're going to miscomprehend. And I've, one thing that I've recommended is there's a, a program called Daily Audio Bible. It's a program that you can download on your smartphone or Apple phone, um, and it it basically goes through the entire Bible in a year. Or it does. It uh, the person reading it reads something from the Old Testament, something from the New Testament, something from the Psalms, and something from the Proverbs. And it takes about 15 minutes a day to read to listen to that. And if you do that every day, starting January 1st, December 31st, you'll cover the whole Bible. There's a lot of, you can look online, there's a lot of printed plans. If you want to do it on yourself, you can pick and choose a thousand different ways to go through the Bible in a year and do that. But you don't even have to go through the Bible in a year. Do it in two. Do it in three. Do it in four. It would probably be more than the none you may have done in your whole life. Just pick something that God leads you to do and be faithful in it. Jesus took the opportunity to see Zacchaeus in his context by going to his home. And he let Zacchaeus get to know him in the process. And we need to learn from Jesus here if we're going to get to know the people around us. And I mean really know them, really know their context. So we get back to the question, do you know where I live It's one of the questions that people ask, and they may not ask it out loud, but what they're basically saying as you begin to have a relationship or an encounter with them is do you really care about me enough to take some time for me? Are you going to know my name? Are you going to know what matters to me? Are you going to learn where I live? And if we do these things, it will show that not only that we care, but Jesus Christ who lives in us cares for them and loves them as well. Let me ask you another house-related question, but this one's a whole lot more personal. Do you know what my house smells like? Have you ever thought of that, that your home, every home that you enter has its own unique smell? Can you think of what your grandmother's house smells like or smelled like? And remember the memories that come back? Have you ever gone somewhere and got a whiff of something that it reminds you of an event or a place or a very important thing that happened in your life? Science actually says that memories are tied to smell. It's one of the strongest senses that we have. It's not just for tasting food. And you can't. every single one of our homes has a unique smell. That's composed of all the people that live there, of the foods you eat, of the things uh, that you do, of the scents you like, of the candles you burn, of whatever. It all conglomerates to make a scent that is as unique as your thumbprint. When I was growing up, we were in a church and had moved to the Garland area. And we'd uh, made friends, my parents made friends with a family from India. And they had over and they introduced us to their food and they invited us to dinner and we ate and we went and ate there many times and at that I think I was probably nine ten somewhere around there and from that point on I've loved Indian food their names were Peter and Sushila and Sushila even taught my mother how to cook some of their uh, meals and my mom still cooks some of those today and it's one of my favorite meals that she cooks not even from our culture but it's fantastic when I went to the IT field, I worked with a lot of people from India and uh, became friends with some of them. They invited me to their homes, and I got to eat dinner with them. And one of the things that they all had in common, again, theirs were as unique as ours, but because of their cultural similarity, they all used the same spices, curry and some other strong-smelling spices. And not only does, it, does their home smell like that, their clothes smell like that. And ours do, too. It just may not be as strong of a a smell. But I say all that just to say that when we go into someone's home, it is much more personal than we realize. When we invite someone into our home or we're invited into someone else's home, we are being given an opportunity to know them at a level that most people don't know them. We get to see the neighborhood that their house is in. We get to see and maybe see their neighbors or meet their neighbors, the people that they associate with. It gives us new insight into who they are and a place to develop a deeper relationship with them and show them what we really care. My home smelled like refried beans, rice, and homemade tortillas. When I was a kid growing up, and I can smell homemade tortillas and it reminds me of home in an instant. If we're ever going to get close enough to people in a relationship to show them that we care and truly love them, we have to uh, have empathy for them. One definition of empathy is to pause our own interests and opinions long enough to discover someone else's interests and opinions. That is much easier said than done but it's a necessary step, a step that has to be intentional for us to move from shallow relationships to personal ones. Our personal experiences tend to define how we see most things and we often assume that how we see the world is how sensible and reasonable people should see the world because we're sensible and reasonable, right? If we were to be honest, we might admit that sometimes we assume others should feel like we feel, think like we think, and believe like we believe. Because that's what sensible and reasonable people do. We also often think that if others don't see things our way, they must be wrong. We probably even assume that we're right about why they're wrong. And it rarely occurs to us that we could possibly be wrong about one of these things or about the other person. I mean, if we're honest, isn't that how we are most of the time naturally? And I promise I'm preaching to myself here. My wife can attest and my mother can attest. The the example that came to mind as I was uh, reading this was my mother gave me a gift a few years ago. It was a little plaque. And it says, well, I would agree with you and we'd both be wrong. (laughs) So would you imagine that my mother knows me pretty well? You know, we have, my mother and I have a personal relationship. We have for quite some time. And so she saw this, you know, Kohl's, I'm sure, or, you know, something like that. And she reads this, and what pops into her mind is Chris. This this is perfect. This this would be a perfect, I think it was like, it's either a birthday present or a Christmas gift. I was like, thanks, Mom. You know, that means a lot. It's true. I couldn't deny it, you know. If we're left to our natural tendencies, most of us tend to be more shallow than personal. We have to intentionally ask God to help us love and care for others like he loves and cares for us. Because remember, he loved us first. And that's the reason we can love others. Not with our own love, but with the love that he's putting in us. The majority of the crowd assumed they were right about Zacchaeus, but they were wrong. And they assumed that they were right about uh, judging Jesus. How dare he go to the house of a sinner? But Jesus was going to teach them a lesson about assumptions. Jesus didn't even care about his reputation. You know, How, how could this teacher go to the house of sinners? Maybe we shouldn't be following this guy around. Jesus didn't care. If we ever find ourselves thinking that we can't understand why someone would do something, we need to pause and see if it's a sign that we're thinking shallow. It's so easy for us to give ourselves the moral high ground when we look at other people's actions. We think to ourselves, I can't even imagine having that thought. I can't even imagine doing that uh, activity. But we know nothing about them. It's not to say that what they're doing is right. But we don't know their story. We don't know their context. How many of you uh, have a personal relationship with somebody that you see someone else mistreating them because of their behavior, but you know them, you know their history, you know what they've been through, you know what they're going through today, and you pull that other person aside and say, can you give them a little Can you give them a little mercy? I know them. And I know what they're going through. And it's hard. Can you just lighten up a little bit? And that other person knows nothing about them. They don't know what matters to them. They don't know where they live. They don't know what they've been through their whole life. And if they did, they'd have a little grace. And they'd have a little mercy because once we know all those things about someone, it's virtually impossible to be shallow anymore. Because you know. You know why. And you know they're hurt. And you know they need a relationship with God. And you're going to show them His love. Because they matter. But to do that, to get to that point in a relationship, we have to set aside our assumptions and presumptions long enough to really get to know them. And we have to pause our own interests and opinions and maybe set aside the fact that we're right. And for now, just concentrate on getting to know them. It takes time. And in one of the most stressful and important weeks of his life. Jesus Christ was literally going to fulfill the most important act in all of human history that had been planned from before the foundation of the world. And it was only days away. And while that was on his mind and that pressure and that stress was on him, he took the time to have a personal relationship with a man who'd climbed up a tree and go home with him and talk to him and eat with him Because He mattered. And because that was why He came. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. Even one. Even if I've only got three years total. Even if I've only got a couple hundred hours left. I've got time for you. Because you're lost. And if we've come to Him and we're in that relationship with Him, then He is in us. And if we go to someone's house that doesn't have a relationship with Him, guess what? Jesus Christ is going into that house with us. And we can show them he cares and he loves just like we do. Can you imagine what could change if the average person was convinced that Jesus wanted to go home with them? They would know that they would never be alone in any situation ever again. We may never convince anyone that Jesus cares about them if we don't get personal enough to show them that we do. And it probably feels impossible to you right now as you listen to this. How can we do this? How can we have a relationship with everybody? Let me make it easy for you. You can't. It's impossible. Jesus Christ himself didn't do it. He was surrounded by a crowd that day. How many people did he go to their house? There was one. So many times we we think we have to do everything. We think we have to reach everybody. God the Father will never give us, not He absolutely will give us more than we can handle. People quote that like it's a scripture. That's not a scripture. He will absolutely give us more than we can handle. He'll never give us more than He can handle. But in that process, he never asked us to do anything that He's not going to do with us. And He told Jesus, Jesus said, I've shared this Scripture many, many times over the years where Jesus says, everything that I say, I say it because the Father is saying it. And everything that I do, I'm doing it because that's what the Father is doing. And the Father, on that day, on this week that is about to go to the cross, the Father tells His Son, we're going to go to Zacchaeus' house. We've got time. And that's what we're called to do in Matthew. You know, this is Jesus' final week. It's his last encounter with an individual human being on this earth. And then before he goes to the cross, and then he goes to the cross, and he uh, is resurrected from the tomb, and before he ascends back to heaven, he says in Luke I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 28, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, z- to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you, always to the end of the age." Guess what? We can't do that if we don't get personal. We have to have a relationship with them. If this church were to grow to a 1,001 people, we'd have to be probably at like three services, I think. <laughs> we can do that. But if it did, every single one of us could have a one-on-one relationship with one other person, and there would only be one person that needs to have one with two. 500, 500, there's one left. That's not that hard. Not if we're listening to the Holy Spirit telling us who we need to get into a relationship with. He'll orchestrate it. He'll do it. He'll do what must be done. And He'll tell us if we're listening, if we're walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And that's what we're called to do. So, as we wrap up this year and as Thursday approaches to head into 2021, I want to give you two things. The first, I've already told you, learn the whole context of God. Make some sort of plan, whether it's listening to it. And just back on that one quick second, I know we're, we're about out of time. But on hearing the word for centuries, for literally thousands of years, many people didn't know how to read, even in the Old Testament. They would read the scriptures to the people. Many of the people didn't know how to read, so they never got to hold the scroll. The scripture was heard. And so there's something about hearing the word of God read that's different than reading it yourself. And I've experienced that myself over the last 15 plus years uh, listening through that. So I would recommend you at least try that. But again, even if you don't do that, get a written program at some level. Go through the whole Bible. And do it again and again and again. Every year that I've done it, God shows me new things and new revelations uh, of who He is. Because He wants to be personal. He wants us to know Him. And then the last thing is, I want you to intentionally pray and seek God about two relationships in this next year. One with someone, maybe in this body, but not necessarily, but someone who is a Christian. That you can walk with as a fellow brother or sister in Christ. That you can encourage, that you can, uh, and that they can encourage you and that you can walk with them in their walk with Christ. Because we all need that. And the second one is to pray about who would God have you walk with them and get personal with them and learn their context and show them that He cares and that you care about them with no agenda other than to say, I love you as a human being because you matter and God cares about you. And one day they'll know you well enough to know that's true. And then you might have the opportunity to say, Jesus Christ loves you like I do. Actually, He loves you much, much more. But we'll never get that opportunity if we're not willing to take time to pause our opinions and our emotions and our beliefs to get into a relationship with them that we might know enough about them to speak into their life and that they would know enough about us that they might actually listen. How many <laughs> i have said this before too, but um, how many times has your opinion been swayed by a Facebook post? you know, somebody totally opposite of your belief system and you read a Facebook, oh, well, there you go. I've been wrong all this time. That convinced me. We immediately dismiss it. We don't give it a second thought. The only way we would ever be possibly open to another idea is if we're in a relationship with someone care about, that we know, that we know their background, we know their history, we know what they think, we know that they're trying to follow God or maybe getting to that point where they're close and we have a relationship with them, then we might be open to at least understanding why they think the way they do. And if we've gone through that whole process, they may be open enough to hear why we believe the way we do, but it's never going to happen Oh, I preach the gospel. I post a Facebook post every day. And I guarantee every lost person that you know that you don't have a relationship with just scrolls right on by. Because you're wrong. And they know you're wrong. And they can tell you why you're wrong. Because you have no relationship. It'll change everything. It changes everything when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you. I thank you because you are so, so good. And anybody who says otherwise is wrong. (laughs) And it's true. But we're not going to convince them that way, Lord, and you know it. And so you called us to be in relationship with people. And Father, I pray that you will... Open our ears to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in a new way, Lord. As we enter into this next year, I pray that not only this body, not only the body of New Covenant, but the body of Christ, that our ears will be open, our eyes will be open to see what you're doing, God, and that we will participate with you in everything that you're doing, Lord. And when we see people who are up in a tree, who need to know that someone cares, and not only another person, but God himself, that will participate with you in that relationship and take time to show them that someone cares and that God cares. And Father, I pray as we, or I know so many people are... They open their Bible and they read it and they feel like they don't get anything out of it or they don't understand it. Lord, I pray as they enter into this new year, that as they read that uh, your word, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will illuminate that word to them, that it will become alive, that they will know it's living and breathing like a two-edged sword. And it will breathe life into them like never before. And they'll go out with boldness to develop relationships with people around them to show them that you love them like you love us. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us as we close in worship? There's a prayer team available to agree with you in any prayer that you have.
0: No, what is savior is any wonderful. Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen, bow down before him, for he is Lord of all, sing hallelujah Christ is risen.
2: That we interact with every day that are hard They don't look like us They don't smell like us It's not you, Jen I promise They don't dress like you They didn't go to the same school you did They're from another town You just don't understand them Those people are a lot like Zacchaeus That was a grown man who climbed a tree Which is dangerous for grown men Because we can get hurt That's why they invented hydraulic lifts So we don't have to climb trees Zacchaeus wasn't wearing a fall harness because he wore robes. I don't know how that worked So that was a dangerous thing for him to do. But he was so hungry to hear what Jesus had to say that he risked embarrassment and personal pain to put himself in a place so that he could hear. There might be somebody around you that's doing something that you don't understand, but they might just be trying to get your attention. Recently, God uh, told me to tell somebody something. And it didn't make any sense to me. It seemed really obvious. God said, Tell them it's okay to breathe. Well, duh, we're all breathing because we're standing here. We're alive. You have to breathe to be alive. I did it. I just said, God wants you to know it's okay to breathe. And that's what they needed to know just to take a break and rest in God for just a moment. And they told me later that it really meant a lot to them. The good news is God's going to put people in your life that you need to talk to. The better news is you don't have have the message. It doesn't have to come. You don't have to write it down or come up with it. God will give that to you as well. Uh, Romans eight thirty two said, if God would just, he gave his son to you, the ultimate sacrifice, why would he not give you everything else that you need to finish the work that was started on the cross? So he'll give you the interaction with somebody. He'll let you know who it is. He'll give you the words to say. And I believe he'll give you the boldness to say it, even if you don't understand it. Okay. This week, if God puts somebody on your heart, pray for them first, pray for yourself second, and then do what he's asked you to do for them, okay? Father God, I thank you that the same Holy Spirit that spoke to Jesus and told him, that man in that tree needs needs you to come to his house today, can speak to me and speak to everyone here in this auditorium here today and let them know who do they need to speak to, who do they need to share God's word with the words that you give us to share with them the words that they need to hear. Thank you for those divine interactions with the Holy Spirit and with the people around us this week. God, I thank you that you'll bless it, make it fruitful and it will glorify your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to start off the new year in a in a in a good, peaceful, restful way, January the I told I said wrong in the first service. It is on Saturday, on Saturday, January 2nd at 7 p.m. We're going to have a throne room encounter. It's just music, praise and worship, a little bit of scripture, maybe some prayer. So just come, let the Holy Spirit wash over you and start the new year off that way. If you're joining us online, go on to com. Click on the Connect banner, learn more about us. Hear our teaching pastor, Pastor Daryl, talk to you about who we are, what we do and how we do it. Y'all be blessed. Have a good week. and. Just let God show you who to talk to, all right? Be blessed.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's message.